you know, the best part of my day is not when some big wig reaches out to me and says, I caught you caught my attention. Great marketing that happened yesterday. And I was like, cool, thanks. It's when some girl that looks like me 20 years ago or they them reaches out to me and says, I'm following you because you make me stronger. Like, that's why I'm doing this shit right now. Welcome to Humans of SaaS. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and on this show, I talk to entrepreneurs, innovators, and leaders from the tech industry who each have a unique and compelling story to share. Leah Cheney is the founder and chief experience officer at Better Growth. She's also the founder of the Breakout CS community and is an incredible advocate for LGBTQ inclusion in tech. Leah, thanks for coming on the show. So tell me about Breakout CS. So Breakout CS is a really small community um, of customer success professionals and customer experience minded folk. So, you know, we actually have quite a few people in sales and um, other departments that consider themselves a part of the customer experience journey, uh, which I think leads to really cool conversations. Um, They tend to be customer centric, of course, but you know, basically I started it one day because as I had started, uh, you know, after two decades of being in customer success and working my way up the ladder and leading teams, I got to a point where I wanted to start my own consulting agency about three years ago um, called Better Growth. And um, as that continued to take off, and honestly, I thought I was just throwing a tantrum when I created Better Growth and I just like needed a corporate break. Um, and then it ended up taking off. It, it, you know, was something that people needed to have customer success consulting. And then I brought on a sales wing of that as well. So we could do the full thing. And I realized I needed to be a student, right? Like to give the best advice on like the top tools to use and the best approaches to things in something that evolves as much as customer success that I needed to be a student as well. And so even though I was like a member of so many communities, I'd never really taken the time to use them to my advantage. And so I I started to ask questions and do things. And I kind of just felt like these large CS communities felt too big. And I didn't think there was a lot of inclusivity to consultants, right? Like I felt like there was always the, oh, what's in it? Why are you asking? And so, you know, one day I just kind of was in an irritable mood and was like, well, what if I just try to do this myself? And so I, you know, I did. And I had about 600 people join that day and we held an event and like, you know, it just blew up. And it's stayed small. Like I, it's bootstrap. Nobody sponsors it. I, I pay out of pocket to keep the little community running, but it's called Breakout CS. And basically our namesake is what we do. Um, and we meet about once a month and we talk about really topical issues that are, um, you know, hurting or excelling in customer success. And if it's a really large group, we break up into smaller groups so we can utilize the hour we have. And if it's just a smaller group that day, we stay as one team. Um, and we work through challenges together and we've done things like, um, you know, uh, we just scrapped out a customer journey together to help each other have a template we could use. We called it a hackathon and it was really fun. Um, and it was over like days and everybody got to keep everything. It's just fun. Like I, I spent $175 a month out of my own pocket to have this little community, its own platform. I don't, there's nothing in it for me other than I get to meet great people and learn. Um, but it is taking off and like I have a full-time job. So I need to ask people in the community to step up and we're going to have auditions for like a, a podcast within it. We're going to move to like email. Um, but like I said, we're scrappy and tiny and honestly, 
like one day I might just shut it down and, you know, challenge someone else to turn it back on. Like, I don't know. I, I don't have a goal right now. That's the nice thing about like, if it's truly community centric, like that's, that is what it is. What's something that you think is, because I agree with you, like a lot of these communities are are fantastic and they're a great place to find different resources and, and share job updates and things like that. But because of their size, it can, they can be a bit cumbersome to use sometimes or to, to get the value looking for. So is there something structurally or something core that's different about Breakout CS? Is there a way that you're keeping that small community mentality or culture with it as the community grows? Yeah, and it has grown. And so here's one of the the fun parts is like, you know, the active parts of it are the people that have found community in it. And so not everybody talks all the time and some people just gather what they need. But, you know, what really gets me motivated to keep it going is I've had, I try to have conversations with people in it. And I've had some wonderful conversations with people that are like, dude, I dropped my job in there, my job posting, and I hired someone. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, that's so rad. You know, and, you, and when I looked, I went and looked at the job posting and it was like one like, but like a conversation took place and like someone got hired. And I was like, how cool is that? Um, in addition to that, I think that, uh, I think people that are consultants join it and feel free to ask questions, which is cool. And it's, they know I'm a consultant. I don't put, I don't push my business. I don't even post about breakout CS that much. Um, personally, right? Like it's just there and it's meant to evolve or dissolve, dissolve <laughs> based on, on what happens. Right. And it, what people like. And so I think the fact that it's its own little platform, right? Like its own little LinkedIn, like you, it's not a Slack channel. You can go join it and it's got its own interface and we've got little badges. So you can announce what you feel like you're a specialty of. So we have like, um, oh, what are some of the badges? Like expansion wizard and data Titan and tools guru. And, you know, and so it's just kind of, yeah, because I'm a freaking nerd. And I was like, I want a badge and I'm going to make one up for myself. And so, yeah, look, it's just cool. And there's nothing in it, you know, like there's no trick. And I don't think it should be a standalone. You're not going to get enough out of Breakout CS. Like go join other communities too. Um, I'm a member of paid communities, right? Like you'll see me post about Pavilion. I just joined On Deck. Like I like paid communities because I feel like they work for you. They have their own CS teams. You're always learning. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's meant to be the solution. It's just a community. <laughs> Join it. Have fun or get out and don't. I don't know. Like, we'll see. It's the most like West Coast mentality to starting something. I love it. It's like, come hang out. I mean, that's how I did my fun. business, right? Like I was like, it'll work or it'll fail. And that's it. I love it. And that's how you do well to add startups. I yeah. mean, look at the career you've had and like everything you've done. And it's, it's, I think that vibe is what we need more of in the tech community because it's just, and just in, in life, because when you put so much stock into this has to work, or I'm going to put in all this stuff and I need to get this much out of it, like it can, it just, we put a lot of stress, stress and pressure on ourselves, which can then in the end actually hamper the quality of the work that we're doing. Versus if you're just like, I'm doing this because I love it, or I wanted it, or someone asked me for it. And if you like it, great. If not, great. You know, go on your merry way. I think we'll all just be like a lot happier and more calm or lower blood pressure. Did we just become best friends? Because yeah, I agree. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> also, I mean, there's only the one thing, sorry, but there's one thing in my life I can't do that with now. And maybe that's why I'm this way. And that's parenting, right? Like that's like, you don't get to just be good at it or bad. Like you have to like really try. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, 
So like at the end of the day, I think part of what's made me successful over the last couple of years is I like a lot of people in this pandemic and life in general right now are like, maybe I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe I'm done. You know, like I did well in it. I I achieved Mm -hmm. a lot of things I wanted to. And like, maybe I just want to go be a theater coach at a high school. Like, you know, I'm half joking, but I think part of where experience and time has played to my advantage is I don't give a shit what anyone thinks of me anymore. Like, I just don't. I have a beautiful wife. I have a daughter. I have an awesome home. Like, I don't need anyone's approval anymore. Did it take you a while to get there? My whole life. Or have you always been like, like, as a kid, you're like, fuck you. I don't care. Like, I'm going to do my own thing. I've always been a little bit of a shit, right? Like, (laughs) clearly, if you follow me on LinkedIn or anything else, you know that I don't mind pushing buttons. But at the same time, like, it came from a place of a lot of pain and a lot of um, stress and a lot of hiding who I was and like, you know, the best part of my day is not when some big wig reaches out to me and says, I caught you caught my attention. Great marketing that happened yesterday. And I was like, cool, thanks. Like, I don't care. It's when some girl that looks like me 20 years ago, or they them reaches out to me and says, I'm following you because you make me stronger. Like, that's mm-hmm. why I'm doing this shit right now. <laughs> hundred percent. And I mean, that was one of the reasons I was excited to bring you on because I know how important it was for me. Like in my younger days, being able to see people in the, in these industries that didn't look like how I'd always seen gay people portrayed or, or even like whether, whether it was portrayed and it was someone playing a gay character or if it was just seeing the pride parade. And I was like, great, but that's not me. So where is me? And then being able to see people in business and in technology that helped so much to make me comfortable being like, okay, now I I feel like I can be very open about this. Cause before it was just like, if you only see one thing, it's hard to see yourself in that kind of role or that kind of company or with that kind of life. Yeah. And look, I'm not going to point out the obvious that I've got a few years on you here, Ben, but that's what's so touching to me and why I feel a responsibility because I didn't have a lot of that, you know, as a 42 year old out, very obvious lesbian, right? Like I don't walk (laughs) into a a room and people go, she could be gay. (laughs) (laughs) You immediately are like, we should ask her pronouns immediately. (laughs) Um, And that's fine because I love that. But I didn't have a whole lot of that, especially in SaaS, right? Like as I was starting into this career really early, as it was starting to even exist. And I didn't have, you know, women wearing bow ties sitting in boardrooms. Um, So, you know, it's just different. And and I think you and, and myself and others that, you know, have the strength to be public about who we are, I think we have, we should use that talent because um, it is a talent to get in front of people. And I think you should use that talent to show others that they don't have to be in front of a mic to make a difference, but they can put on the damn bow tie that makes them feel like a better. And just, and any, and people can just give less of a shit about like, if this person wears a bow tie or if this person looks a certain way or has pronouns or whatever, like we can all just give a little less of a shit about each other's differences. And I think that's the other thing is just like building that comfortability by being visible is something that, you know, we have to keep going and keep pushing on so that people give less of a shit. (laughs) So when you started in tech, how long have you been in tech for? Pretty much my whole career. At what point in your career journey did you come out? Like, were you out in at work? 
It took me a long time. And I think that was, you know, something I wanted to talk about today because, yeah, things were different, but things weren't at the same time. And, you know, I I came out personally much sooner than I came out publicly, or I'm sorry, professionally. Um, and so it was kind of a weird dual life, right? Because I, I didn't, it was kind of the don't ask, don't tell mentality that unfortunately my generation had kind of been told is how you should act. So people felt okay about you. And, um, so I think people probably questioned, but in my early twenties, I was more passing as straight, right? I had long hair, I'd wear a ponytail. I just looked like sporty spice. Like you probably thought, you know, she might be a lesbian. Um, and I would have comments of course, but the crazy thing is I, I had, you know, a significant other back home. Um, I always had girlfriends, like I came out personally in my teens, but I came out professionally, uh, in my late twenties. And it wasn't until I worked for a startup that had other openly queer people there that one day my sister was visiting in town and I said, I want to go cut my hair off. And I went into a hairdresser and I went from like, you know, mid back level hair. And I came out with one of the most, you know, cool faux hawk, lesbodaga, awesome haircuts <laughs> I've ever had. And I, it was in the middle of my damn work day. And I went and walked back into the <laughs> office and everyone just kind of turned around and I sat down and one of my friends that knew I'm gay wrote me a message and said, welcome to the the group. Right. And it was like, wow. And so like, I came out with my hair, like, yeah, that's, what that's, that's a good way to do know. it. I mean, it yeah. gets the job done. Yeah. And you know, nobody questioned if, if the word, if was not no longer a part of people's questions around me, it was clear I was queer. And after that, I started bringing girlfriends and later my wife, of course, uh, to events and, and I've never looked back. So I've been very, very out and gay and I've had discrimination. I've definitely had discrimination in ways people thought that they weren't even discriminating. And so, again, why I try to really put myself out there, because there's more change that needs to happen. Definitely. You mentioned there were some other out people at that that office. So were they already sort of desensitized, you know, to, to queer folks? Or was it still, were, were there some struggles there initially? Yeah, actually, one of the strangest and, um, you know, an event I've thought about a lot in my life happened. I had... Another person that was not, I didn't, I had no clue this person was, you know, on the LGBTQ side of anything, right? And uh, this person is somebody that I had spent some time with and um, and they confided in me that they were, you know, closeted and um, in a situation where they couldn't come out. And it was, and so then I immediately went, in, you know, I'm a helper to my own detriment. And so then I went into like, I have to help people. I have to help more queer people. Cause I, I'm not, you know, like I was really privileged. Like my parents, I told them I was gay and my dad went and bought me a freaking wallet. And for another day, my personal coming out story was, you know, was hilarious and, but it was accepting and I'm very privileged, right? I didn't have any cultural or religious, you know, reasons that my family might, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't kicked out of my family. Um, but I've known so many people that were, and then work-wise, like the company I worked for, um, you know, was open and I had benefits for my domestic partners and, and, and it was not partners. Like I was in one relationship, but I mean, my point is I realized my privilege and in talking to more queer people and including today, I think everyone just assumes this is a safe world where you can just be queer and it's not, it's not. And, um, I think you got to step out of your own privilege to really understand that. I think, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, I, I, I have somewhat of a skewed view being a Canadian, 
um, and B, going to a musical theater high school where a lot, a lot of people were gay. Like that was sort of status quo. And, you know, obviously you go through the normal stuff when you're coming out, but, uh, you know, figuring out who you are as a person and all this kind of stuff. Um, But then, you know, going straight into tech and I started in tech in 2015, it was, I'm very fortunate to have never really had any issues. And I've just always been able to be out and talk about my partner, now husband, and talk about whatever I'm doing and make jokes and no one ever really cares, which is, which has been great. But I definitely realize that, that, you know, that's my experience is not indicative of many people's experience at all. And I think that while there are pockets where it is completely safe, or at least as, as much as could be, you know, hoped for in, in a lot of Toronto, and then it feels like it here in New York. And if you're in tech and in a very liberal city, like it's very good, obviously there's still some distance to go, but it's, but we're definitely in a bubble. There's a ton of people across Canada and the U.S. and around the world that can't fathom just even the kind of life that that I I've had potentially, like in terms of safety, security, support, all of that. Well, let's talk about that because I've I actually made a big change in my life that I can, I would like to announce here. So my wife and I during the pandemic we were living in Portland, Oregon, and our business mm-hmm. had an office, and there was you know we didn't so we owned a home and we did, you know we had our baby there and used the Oregon Reproductive Center there, and we n- never in a million years thought we'd leave there. But our family was all in either Texas or on, in South Carolina, and my wife and I during the pandemic decided since the business could go remote that we were going to move across the country, and we did. And I actually live in a small town in South Carolina now as an out. Oh wow queer woman. And so, you know, it's been just at a year, almost exactly. And it's definitely inspired me to remember that when you live in pockets, because I've lived in New York, I've lived in Austin, I've lived in San Francisco and uh, Portland, Oregon, right? Like I've surrounded myself by like-minded people. And part of that has been good. And part of that hasn't, because I am somebody who would like to challenge myself to make change. And so right after I got here, a group had created the Upstate LGBTQ Chamber of Commerce. Um, I've provided my services free to help things like with diversity and inclusion, LGBTQ focused, right? There's so much more to diversity and inclusion, even included in LGBTQ, to help things with like employment um, documents for like cities and stuff like that and benefits programs. And so I thought I was going to move out here and panic and freak out. And then, you know, um, but it hasn't been, I've actually been welcomed with warmth and people have felt safe to come out to me. Um, but it's a whole nother world. There aren't pronouns, right? Like there aren't, there's work to be done. And so it has been a strong reminder to me that as technology, now that the pandemic has happened is more and more people can be remote, that these are our chances to get out of these pockets of safety and actually spread change through rural, I'm from Texas, so I cannot say that word, but you know what I mean? From, (laughs) you know, underdeveloped and and areas that just don't have a queer presence, programs and safety. And so, um, yeah, there's, I can tell you, there's a lot of work to be done out of your bubble. Today's show is brought to you by Catalyst Software, the fastest growing customer success platform on the market. Catalyst gives you unmatched customizability, a seamless bi-directional Salesforce integration that takes less than five minutes to set up, and a world-class customer success team that'll be by your side every step of the way. Let's be honest, whatever you're currently using might be good enough, but is good enough really what you're aiming for? 
Take your CS team to the next level by switching to Catalysts today. To learn more, visit Catalyst.io. And if you aren't looking for a CS platform right now, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn anyways. I make daily memes, we host all sorts of events, and we love to give away our swag, which has been called the comfiest swag in the industry. Again, check out Catalyst.io to learn more. You said you you know you faced some some discrimination throughout your career um, and from people who didn't know you know potentially that they were you know that what they were doing was 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 not okay. I think that's something people are still curious about now. Like if you didn't grow up with queer people and queer friends and it's not something maybe you're okay with it, you have no problems with it, you're like live and let live, but there's just something a lack of comfortability. I think there are people that sort of worry about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. What are some of those things that you've encountered before? And, you know, what do you say to to people who aren't quite at that comfortable level yet or aren't quite sure how to act? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to, you have to tap into the human side of yourself and you have to research and you have to learn, right? I think one of the things that we do wrong in diversity overall is we oftentimes tend to put the people that fit in those pockets in the spotlight and ask them as opposed to like, I don't know, hire a consulting agency that'll train your organization to diversity and inclusion. You want to enhance your focus on the trans community, which is where tech is, you know, sorely failing, um, in particular, the black trans community. I don't know, hire a consultant that's black and trans to come in and help you build that out. And I am not that person. I am not a consultant. I don't make a dollar and I never will on helping people with diversity. Um, because it's not, it's not, I I'm here to make change in, in being out and, and being open, but there are people who have built programs to do this. And so that's my first thing. And, you know, I think one thing I really want to talk about, Ben, is there's a lot of diversity in tech. I think we give tech this pat on the back because on Pride Month, you see every logo change to a rainbow. That actually is a little triggering to some of us. And I want to talk about why. As I grew my professional career, the higher up the ladder I got, the more I actually experienced diversity firsthand. And I don't think that's something I ever expected. And how I experienced it was, one, the first time I was a manager, I had my first little team and I wanted everyone to like me. And I mean, this is years ago. And I had a member on the team who just didn't respect me. And of course, it it crossed my mind, like maybe this person has a problem with the fact that I am, you know, I've now got that haircut and I've had it for a while and I'm pretty confident myself of being out and gay. It looks good. Thank you. I appreciate it. I work hard on it. But, you know, at the end of the day, it got worse and worse. And I actually brought that to the attention of my employer. And a comment was made where this individual kind of hid under religion and actually said, you know, (laughs) that they they didn't respect queer people because it was against their religion, which at the time I was ignorant enough to be like, oh, well, I guess that's a valid reason. Now that I have a million friends that are religious and all kinds of different diverse backgrounds, I realized that that was actually just a person who was homophobic and hiding behind a reason that they could treat me differently. And so I exposed this to, you know, leadership, one person, and they didn't just, they just didn't know what to do. Right. And so they just swept it under the rug and I ended up leaving and, and I, I watched them change their logo and they're not on my, they're not on my LinkedIn. You won't find it there. I was literally there that short because I was like, this is just not my, my, my vibe, but it was my first real time of being like, Oh shit. Like nobody has my back in this. And I was just annoying and a nuisance and 
and they just wanted it to go away, not to solve it, but for it to go away. And so when I see them change, and it's actually a different company now and all kinds of stuff, but you know, that logo changed to rainbow. I I'm like, bullshit. Yeah. hundred <laughs> like, percent. Oh, no. And so, you know, that's one example. The other one's a little bit more painful for me. So as I continue to grow that, and I would oftentimes not only be the only female on an executive team at a startup, um, I would go into board meetings with executives and be the only female and definitely the only queer person who was out. And so I started, because I'm an out queer leader, a lot of times I attract that to people applying for jobs. I think people look for that. They look for that safety. They look for that commonality in that community. And so my, my face is on the you know website as a leader there and people join. And, and so I feel like I need to fight for those teams. And so I was in a, a room with a bunch of men one day and I just said my piece. And I was like, listen, we need to work on diversity inclusion efforts. We need to really look at having gender neutral bathrooms and we need to look into XYZ for the LGBTQ community. And one of the gentlemen who probably meant nothing by it said, LBG, ABCD, FG, and I don't know if you can tell, but I have, so I have rosacea. So when I'm nervous, happy, sad, I mean, my face got beat red. And I was so uncomfortable. And I just wanted to die in that moment, right? Like I was just like, and I, and it shut me down because one, I was embarrassed that my face was red. And then I was like, you know, I saw people looking at me and I was just sweaty and, um, and we had a break and, and it was like an all day event. And I just went outside and I stepped outside and I was like, I'm going to get fired today because <laughs> I'm going to go back in that room oh. and I'm going to just publicly state how I felt about that. And I did, and I didn't get fired. And I actually got an apology. And then that's when I realized that discrimination doesn't always come from a place where someone's trying to hurt you. Um, but I'm proud of myself that on that day, I didn't just shut up, right? Like I, I came back and said, lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, intersex, questioning, asexual, pansexual, plus. And the room was just quiet. <laughs> and I said, let's talk about diversity. And then after that, they hired a consultant to come in and it became a bigger deal. So I think that was the first moment in my life where I was like, that part of you that some people love and others just wish would go away <laughs> needs to come out more. Because even if I only change one little startup, or even if I only make one queer person put on a bow tie and feel comfortable going to work, like that, that's cool to me. And so that's why I'm doing this. And I mean, even, I mean, I know it's a different concept, but even, you know, starting your community, that got a person hired and look at the difference a job makes for someone. That's someone's life that they like, uh, that they've now gotten a job through something that you created out of nothing. Like that's incredibly meaningful. Um, talking about, yeah, the, this particular incident. Yeah. I think there's a few things there. Like, I think everyone has good intentions. Almost everyone is, and I was talking about this recently at a dinner uh, with some friends and like, I got a few arguments, but I strongly believe that everyone is the hero of their own story. Everyone thinks they're the good guy. Everyone thinks that they're doing a good thing. And, but that's why what you did was so incredible and so important is people need that education. Like people need to be told when, if, if something they've said or done has made other people uncomfortable, because at the end of the day, most people provided they're not 
a psychopath or a sociopath will have that, oh shit, I fucked up reaction. I didn't know. I'm sorry. And they try to remedy the situation. And even if they don't verbalize that, they're still going to feel like shit because they know that what they did was not actually what they intended. At the end of the day, it's just about being good people to each other. And I think that that's when the conversation gets overwhelming. That's sort of what I always go back to is like, you don't have to think about being accepting of groups A, B, C, D, E, F, like all these different things. What you have to think about is how can I be a good person to this other person? Or as I usually put it, how can I not act like a dick at work? How can I just support this person, whatever their thing is? And it can be almost anything. It's not as complicated as people make it out to be. Well, let's, let me take some of that because I agree a hundred percent. And I think, you know, a little shocker for everyone today, maybe my best friend is a 52 year old straight white male, my best friend in this whole world. Um, and you know, he is an incredible human being and we need straight white males because that privilege and that power to get behind us. Right. Like, I mean, look, I'm, I'm going to, I told you I'm here to tell other communities too. Right. Like, I mean, pavilion, Sam Jacob reached out to me a long time ago and was like, there's a lot of people that could teach CCO school. I want you to do it. And I want you to do it because you know what you're doing and because not enough people ask you to do it. And I knew exactly what he meant. And I was so grateful you know, that he gave me that opportunity. And I've had so many other people, look at yourself offering me to come on this podcast. And like, again, I, I feel like I owe it to myself to put myself out there. Um, and also because I'm not like everyone else, but there's so many others like me and I don't, I'm not looking for 15 minutes of fame right now, which is probably why I'm getting it because I just really (laughs) don't want it. (laughs) That seems to be when it happens. Probably in my thirties, I would have killed for this. Um, but people are still giving me that opportunity and you don't have to be a straight white male to do that. Like, I don't know most people's sexuality that are giving me these opportunities, but I can tell you that they're a white male and that is privilege straight or not. And I also can tell you as a white female, I have privilege as well. And I can also tell you that as I grow the people around me who are more diverse and I learn from them and I research myself where the holes are in our society and what we need to change, not by asking them what I can do better to help my friend who's a black female, but by reading some damn books and by getting myself out there and doing the hard work for them to be better. Like you're not better because you ask people how to be better. You're better because you get uncomfortable and you make mistakes like my friend in the boardroom that day with his comment and you learn from those mistakes and you make change. And that happens from every single human being in here. And as privileged people, you ha- you're the ones that are going to make the most change because that's the bullshit of a privileged system. <laughs> like, well, it's definitely. And, and I think something that I've thought a lot about with this as well is that like, I know a lot of, I, whether it's straight white men or just white men or white women, whatever it is, like people who are being told a lot that they have this privilege and a lot of them, yes, there are maybe if we're if we're doing some sort of point system, like mm-hmm. those two those those aspects of who they are, yes, have afforded them certain things. But we but do do they a might point have grown system. up. Well, I've talked we, to ones who have grown up, you know, on, on welfare or ones who have grown up with autistic siblings that they've taken care of their whole life that have given them this other perspective, or ones where it's, you know, they just there have been all sorts of things that have given them very diverse perspectives, made them incredibly loving people and 
you know, and they don't, and some of them, not all, but many feel excluded from these conversations because they don't fit into, well, they're not gay and they're not black and they're not this and they're not, and they're not. And that's where the focus of the diversity inclusion movement has been is on these specific groups. And I think that that's starting to, I think it, that we need to talk about different groups and different people that are affected in that setting, but we also need to talk about, you know, like we, I said before, like there's no, almost no limit to the ways we differ in terms of our, our, our privilege and our, I don't know what's the opposite of privilege, anti-privilege, our, yep. <laughs> I mean, you might know something, but that's just something <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about. Cause like you said, we need everyone on board in order to make positive change and people need to feel included in the, in the conversation and not just like they're being talked at, but that they're being talked with about how we can improve the society and the companies we work at. Yeah, absolutely. But you said something important I have to touch on. We do have <laughs> a point system. It's not a point system like what you're claiming, but it is, you know, a point system that is our credit scores. It's a point system that gets us into colleges. It's a point system that gets us the experience required to get into SAS in the first place in most organizations. And this is where the discrimination starts. Because if you didn't have access to all of those things, and if you didn't have... Um, you know, the college degree and five years experience required to start in the tech industry, then you didn't get in it. And that's why when you look around, you're like, yeah, we got lots of benefits and 90% not diversity. And it's because right. of these things. And so I challenge organizations to do things like I'm seeing happen more. And that is to take away some of those entry-level barriers and put together training programs. Like one of the things I do at Better Growth is I build training programs so I can help startups to hire people with less experience and more diversity to be able to go through these programs. I don't charge them. I will never charge someone to go through that. I charge businesses that want to build something powerful like that, and then they can use it on repeat. Can I pause, can I pause there for a second? Can you tell people how to find that if they are someone that might be a, a fit for that training program that you do? Yeah. And again, I mean, it's, you can go to bettergrowth.com. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn, but basically what I've found is, you know, especially in this market where you're trying to hire customer success managers and they're upwards of 90, hundred K for like two years experience, I challenge back and I'm like, let's build a customized program where we put them through customer success training and build out what your product does. So when they walk out of this, they are fresh, excited, and they've got this opportunity. And when I started this program, which I did for my first client, we hired over 50 employees this way for, I realized that that barista that had no chance of getting into tech was their top freaking performer, right? And, it, and I was like, oh shit, I just did something. And yeah. so now I've got more and more companies doing that. So yeah, you can hire me to do it, but you can also your own program, you know, build certain things like this. And like I said, I'm not in, I'm not in this to make money. I do make money in trainings, but I also have done customer success for 20 freaking years. So yeah, you should hire me and help with that if you can. But if not, uh, take my secret sauce. It works. And it gives you an opportunity to then go and hire people that you wouldn't. And now you're looking around, you've got black trans people in support. You've got, you know, um, a spectrum of people from different sizes and races and religions. And, um, and it's just cool. And it all comes down to the entry gate at your organization. Yeah. And nobody ever talks about that, but it's true. It's, it's true. And it's a huge issue eight not least because we have this talent 
you know, pipeline problem that everyone <laughs> is is talking about in the industry. Yeah. But because there are so many immensely talented people out there that have incredible potential that just haven't had the dots connected where they know that they could work at a tech company. Like yeah. how would the barista at Starbucks know that they are extremely employable by a tech company and they have all these core skills that will make them the top performer without some sort of catalyst. See what I did there to get them to that point. Oh, yeah. So that's something I'm really passionate about as well is like matching up talent. And I've talked to the leaders of like Greenhouse and Beamery, like this is all something they're super, super passionate about. So I, I love that. And I, I hope we can continue moving that ball forward. But I want to go back to because I know we have limited time. I want to go back to um, commoditization of the queer community in particular around Pride Month, because we talked about the logos, the rain, everyone makes their logo rainbow. And you know, you touched on a company that wasn't really walking the walk, but they were putting this out there. I think, again, going back to looping in parts of our conversation, um, all with the best, generally with the best intentions, um, companies want to do something for Pride Month. They're like, oh, Pride, we should support the community. How should we do that? Someone puts up their hand, suggests we make their logo rainbow, um, maybe march in the parade, and and that's sort of it. So what are some ways that you, what are some positive ways that you suggest companies support the queer community, whether it's Pride Month or year round, in ways that are genuine, that won't make us feel like it's just sort of commoditization? Yeah. I mean, I think the coolest thing you could do is when you launch your logo as a rainbow, you also list out what you've done that year to enhance your diversity and inclusion for the queer community. And I think you should do that around other diverse celebrations as well. Um, and so, you know, like I said, I focus on LGBTQ because I am one and I can talk to what has hurt me and what could have been better for me. And that's the best place to make change is from authenticity. But I encourage that you do this, not just for LGBTQ, but for every celebration that we're now bringing to the table and should continue to, but for LGBTQ, like imagine if you're like, here's our rainbow logo. Also this year, all of our office, uh, you know, changed to, to gender neutral bathrooms. We offered top surgery to transgender community members. So we'll reimburse you for um, your top surgery or other, um, you know, surgeries that you need to go through to feel comfortable in your body and be your true self. Like that kind of shit goes a long way. <laughs> and I can tell you that if you're a large company, like an Oracle or a Facebook or, you know, one of those, like you might do certain things and think you're trendy, but that's the kind of stuff that really makes change because that's what people pay attention to. But also as a baby startup, like what does it cost you to just make some basic, basic changes, like having um, a committee, right, that is focused and run by those in the, in the um, company that want certain changes. Like maybe you can't afford the construction that you need to do, or maybe you can't afford the benefit packages that I'm recommending, but where can you start? Um, mm -hmm. And is it with training programs that allow more people access? Is it speaking at Pride? Is it taking the day off for special celebrations for different communities and different diverse pockets to go and be in the parade if you choose, or just to take the day off and celebrate instead of one of your typical holly, you know, uh, not Hollywood, but uh, holidays? Um, mm -hmm. Like those are small baby steps, but again. It's just small change. It's all it's all we need across the board is just some small change that leads to large movements. No, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for coming on. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, 
please rate us five stars and leave a review. Make sure to subscribe. And if you want to reach out to us, our email is community at getcatalyst.io.